0: And yellowful Valsinus, let's get the book of Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to begin halfway through the chapter. <clears throat> we'll read verse 17 just to get a running start. We covered that last time that I was in the pulpit with you for this hour. Daniel 4, we are in the middle of this chapter where Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream, and now he's seeking interpretation. He has met with Daniel. He's told Daniel the dream, and in verse number 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. So Nebuchadnezzar has explained the dream to Daniel. He is continuing to narrate here, and he says, this is what the angel said to me that by the demand of the Holy Ones, that that little council I I showed you about how the the Lord has these heavenly board meetings, the decision is we are going to punish you, Nebuchadnezzar, because even though you're the basis of men, you have become filled with pride. Verse 18, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Sorry, now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's right. The reason Daniel is able to help is not because Daniel is more intelligent than the other men, although he might have been, but the reason he's able to help is because of the spirit of God in him. Now, of course, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know the right terminology, He says the Spirit of the holy gods because he believes in a plurality of gods. But guys, the only place you're going to get real help is from somebody that is in touch with the Spirit of God. Now, let me be very careful about this. Because anybody can make the claim, I'm filled with the Spirit. Anybody can say that. How do you know that that person is filled with the Spirit of the holy God, the Most High God? The Apostle Paul said it like this, he said, when we teach, we don't use the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So the way we know for sure that the Holy Spirit is the one operating or guiding us into truth is we compare it with the words of the Holy Spirit. What He has sent down through these prophets, preserved for us unto this day, then we know we're getting the help we need. So all of us, from time to time, we need counsel, yes? In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. But I hope you've learned now from Nebuchadnezzar's stories, plural, because in chapter 2 he had this issue, chapter 4 he has this issue. He goes to his magicians, soothsayers, astrologers they can't help but there's one guy that can give him some biblical spiritual godly help make sure the advice you're getting is biblical godly spiritual counsel verse number 19 then Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar was astonied for one hour that word astonied means just blown away shocked so surprised that he stood there like a stone, a stony. So he just stood there going, I, I can't believe I'm, I have to deal with this. And, and it was a very, let's say, delicate situation. The king's dream, the interpretation of it is, king, you're going to go down and you're going to fall hard, really hard. Now, how do you tell the king this? How do you tell the king of the then known world, you're going down? You know what they say, you don't shoot the messenger. Well, Daniel's worried about getting shot. <laughs> he, he's going he's gonna to sit, he's sitting there for an hour thinking, how do I say this to the king and it not look like I'm against him, right? I, I, how, how do I present this in such a way that he gets it, but also I don't want his enemies to take advantage of what I'm about to say. Because if if one of Nebuchadnezzar's enemies hears what's going to happen to him, they might see this as a political opportunity to jump in and steal the kingdom. So how do you word that? He was astounded for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies." So Daniel is aware this, this could really cost you your kingdom. And I know your enemies might want to hear this. So I, here he's going to come out and say it anyway. Sometimes you've got to be the bearer of bad news. Right? I, you, be delicate. Try to be discreet when you have to give bad news. But sometimes you just need to say it. Verse 20. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. Now, he's retold the dream. Now he's going to explain it. It is Thou, O King, Thou art grown and become strong, for Thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and Thy dominion to the end of the earth. Now, end of the earth that is the then known world right they they didn't know about South America and South Africa and those kind of places but as far as the map that they had access to Nebuchadnezzar was in control of it all he was the high point the pinnacle he was as good as it gets as far as what the world would consider successful we're going to talk a little bit more about how impressive his kingdom was in just a moment not spiritually mind you but, but in a secular way It was very impressive. So he says, king, it's you. You're the one that's grown up and has all this power. Verse 23, and whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one come down from heaven and saying, hew the tree down and destroy it. Now remember the watcher and the holy one, that's one being, that's an angel. And now he's saying, here's the interpretation. King, you're going down. Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. So we're going to talk more about that stump in just a few verses. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. Again, Daniel has narrated the dream back to Nebuchadnezzar and here comes the explanation, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High. So do you see how this works? The watchers... The angels, they are carrying out what God has approved. The Most High, He is in control of this plan, but the angels also had a say in it, just so that you can put all those pieces together. He says, this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now we talked about a lot of this already, so let me just refresh your memory in case case it has slipped your mind. The watchers, these, these are the angels, and they are the ones kind of orchestrating this to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson. He has become lifted up with pride, they got together with the Lord, a plan is formulated, and now... Nebuchadnezzar is going to go down, and the angels are going to make sure he's going to go down. You see this in a couple of other places where God allows angels or unclean spirits, even in some cases evil spirits, to, can we say, interfere or bother somebody. King Saul is an example of this, right? He gets sideways with God, and then an evil spirit from the Lord troubles him. That was a punishment. Right? This is not as if God is doing something wrong. This is God executing righteous judgment on a man. And I showed you a case where Ahab, King Ahab, was relying on, on uh, false prophets. So these spirits said, we know how to take him down. We will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. So it was all a punishment. Verse number 26, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. So this tree stump, the reason Nebuchadnezzar saw that, it was, can we say, chained to the ground with bands of iron and brass. The way that I think of it, if any of you have a gate motor at home, if you have a motorized gate at your house, it's very common, I think, these days you put a a little cage over that gate motor, right? And that, that metallic cage is there to protect it from from theft. Now, that doesn't always work, right? Thieves get pretty good at getting in and taking it anyway, but the idea is don't worry, king, you're going to be out of commission for seven years, these seven times, but don't worry, after you've learned your lesson, you're coming back. Your kingdom will still be here. You're just going to take a seven-year trip to the funny farm, but you're coming back. Now, notice what's being said here. He said at the end of verse 26, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. You are going to be sideways with God. Things are going to be rough until you learn your lesson. You're going to have to learn. That's a really good practical thing to grab onto. Why am I going through all this? Why won't God step in and do something? Perhaps the reason things aren't Coming right has nothing to do with God. It has to do with you. God's ready to make things come right. He's just waiting on you to figure out why they went wrong in the first place. So notice how Daniel has now given the interpretation. He's explained to the king, this is what your dream means. And then he's going to preach for one verse. Verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility so maybe things will continue to go well in your kingdom but king you've got to repent now it took Daniel about an hour I'm going to say of of mental and emotional and spiritual preparation how do I word this I know the interpretation and I know what God wants me to tell the king king you just need to repent Okay, you're an impressive man, but you got some sins in your life that need to be dealt with. And he's telling this to the king before the king hits rock bottom. Just my experience, God will often reach out to a man or a woman who's quite successful before they fall and warn them. Once that warning gets ignored over and over and over again, God says, enough's enough. I've warned you. You haven't learned. We tried it the easy way and since you're not listening to that, we'll try the hard way. And how many times do we as humans, why do we refuse to learn the easy way? Why is it that God has to take these kind of measures to get our attention? Now, notice He says, break off thy sins by righteousness. This is not, this is not difficult to understand. Stop doing wrong and start doing right. That's pretty straightforward. But notice the end of verse 27 It may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All right, so let's talk about this for a moment. Take your Bible, come to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Hold your place in Daniel, of course. Ecclesiastes, Prietakar. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Some people have the idea that when you come into the world, God gives you a certain amount of days that you will be alive. And that's true, by the way that's true. You come into this world, we all have a certain amount of days that God has granted us, and only God knows that number. And that number is not 70. That number is not 120. That number is different for everybody, okay? And, and we're not going to make a full Bible study of this this morning. If you take care of yourself, you can add to your days. And I'm talking physically. If you exercise, eat well, the Bible says you can add to your days, all right? However, there's something else that can add to or take away from your days. Ecclesiastes, did I say chapter 10? I was wrong. Chapter seven, I'm sorry, forgive me. Ecclesiastes 7 <clears throat> verse 17. Ecclesiastes seven and 17. Solomon says, "Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Do you see that? So you have a time. It it is, the Bible says, appointed unto men once to die. We all have an appointment with death. Right? You have an appointment with death. And if it's a South African doctor, he'll be late. (laughs) And you'll get a few extra days just because, you know, paperwork. (laughs) But you have an appointment. Now, if you rush through life fulfilling the lust of the flesh holding on to your sins ignoring what God is trying to say to you you can speed up the clock and you can die before your time. Do you see that? Now, be be careful here. right? Be careful because I don't want you to jump to a different extreme and say, oh, well, so-and-so died young. right? They died in their 20s or in their 30s. He must have been doing something wrong. You don't know that because maybe God gave that guy 20 years when he came into the world but he lived right, so God let him stick around for 25 years. So he actually had a longer life than expected. That's why it's impossible for us to say anything definitive on that. Because we don't know what he had to begin with. You remember Hezekiah? The prophet Isaiah says, put your house in order, you're going to die. He rolls over in the bed and starts to pray, God, I've been good. I've I, I tried, to, tried to be a righteous man. What's going on? And God sends the prophet back and says, tell him, he gets 15 more years. He, he, his life, it was added too. Worst thing could have happened to him. Because in those 15 years, he did nothing but get lifted up with pride and, and ruined the next generation with those 15 years. All right, so now that's getting into a different subject here. But get Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. This is the chapter 10 I was thinking of. Proverbs 10 verse 27. Here you'll see both sides of it. Proverbs 10, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Right? It'll, it'll take time off of your life. If you are taking notes, you can maybe write down Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 10. Maybe you're familiar with the story Jeremiah, come down to the potter's house, and let me show you the word of the Lord. And he shows that potter working on the clay. You remember that? And then the clay is marred, and then the potter begins to reshape it. He said, I'm going to do the same thing with the house of Israel. But the overall lesson was this. He says, when I speak to a nation, and I say I'm going to destroy you, if that nation repents, then God said, I will also repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. But the flip side is true. If I said to a nation, I'm going to bless it, and then they turn the other way and take that for granted, God said, I will also turn from the good that I promised them, and I will punish them. So it's the same concept. Nebuchadnezzar, as bad as he is, and he's a bad guy, as bad as he is, he still has a chance. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. There's, there, as long as you're breathing, you have time to repent. Repent. And and God, who is rich in mercy, is ready to give you another chance. All right, come back to Daniel 4. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was the basest of men. Do you remember that at the end of verse 17? Setteth up over it the basest of men. He is the bottom of the barrel, as we would say. He's at the bottom of the basement, but yet even he has a chance. Daniel 4, verse 28. He says, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. What a simple verse, but powerful. That is a summary statement for what's about to follow for the rest of the chapter. Daniel switches gears and he says, okay, here's the rest of the story. He interpreted the dream. That happened verses 1 to 27. He preached that sermon. He left 12 months later. We pick the story back up, right? And and now we're going to hear what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. What happens to him lasts for seven years and then Daniel's going to start writing it down. So, so this is now eight years later we get the rest of the story. How does it start? All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. So let me just quickly say everything the Bible says that's going to happen to your soul will one day happen. Every prophecy of the Word that should have come to pass already has, has come to pass. We have no reason to doubt it. So when you, think, uh, when you read things about your future, y- y- you ought to take that seriously. It's appointed unto men once to die. How does that verse finish? But after this, the judgment. better take that serious. You know, one day, you're going to say, all this came upon me. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. All of those things, one day you'll say, all this came, came to pass. Exactly the way the Lord said it would. Now, verse 29, at the end of twelve months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of? by the might of my power, and for the honor of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar is a typical politician. Now just look at what he said. This is great Babylon. I built it. Okay. King, maybe you ordered it to be built, but be careful about saying you built the whole thing. But okay, he ordered it, that I have built, but why did he build it? I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power, and for the honor of my, you know why he's doing it? Look what I did. It's all about himself. It's all about himself. Do- doesn't that sum up a lot of politics? They're not in it for the people. They're in it for themselves. Now, I'm not going to preach to you as if you're politicians this morning. I just think it's, it's, um, it's an interesting note how accurate the Bible is when it talks about those things. Let me point something out in verse number 29. It took 12 months Everything Daniel said and that vision that God had showed Nebuchadnezzar, it took 12 months. For 12 months, after that little sermon Daniel gave, things went really well for Nebuchadnezzar. He woke up every morning and had a lekker ont bite. He had breakfast and his servants are bringing him, you know, wine and milk and, and juice. And every day he had everything he wanted. He'd walk through his kingdom and it was impressive. One of the seven wonders of the world was called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And you can go, people have tried to draw pictures of what it looked like today. It's just rubble and ruins, but it was almost like he, a man-made mountain. But he, he built this palace and levels and then just beautiful gardening and trees and, and, you know, just a botanical garden everywhere. It was gorgeous according to what every, every historian had to say. In his kingdom, they estimate that he used over 15 million bricks. 15 million. We're in a building project. We're not anywhere near 15 million. <laughs> 15 million, that's a, large, that's a large structure you're building. Every brick, he printed his name on it. Every brick. He had an inscription made. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And then he would give a description of himself. Every brick. 15 million times he said, don't forget me, don't forget me. Don't, And that's why he did it. Because all the pharaohs of Egypt and the other kings of the world that had built structures, after those structures fell down, nobody could remember who built it. So he said, I don't want anybody to doubt When, if somebody comes in and attacks and knocks down my buildings, they'll have to pick up the bricks and say, Nebuchadnezzar was here. Just so full of himself. It took 12 months. Every day, he'd walk out and admire his kingdom. He'd look at his servants coming. Man, it was impressive. You may think that because, well, you know, I heard this sermon and I think God wants me to do this, but things are going so well in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm waking up every morning. I got plenty to eat. I go out and I got a great job. And look at this kingdom that I've built. I mean, I, I have everything that I've ever wanted, that anybody could want. You just give it enough time, and the whole thing will come crashing down. Look, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. This is just human nature. Ecclesiastes 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the Bible says in verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Just make sure you look at that verse. Let that sink in. You know what he's saying? You did something wrong. You didn't get punished right away. You thought you got away with it. So, you know what we do? I'll just do it again. Because God didn't drop the hammer right then and there. Have you ever said this use this phrase that ship has sailed? You ever said that? Right? We use that phrase because we think we missed an opportunity. That ship has sailed. Every ship that goes out to sail, now I say this in general, I know that there are exceptions if a ship sinks. But when a ship goes out to sea, it has to come port somewhere, it has to dock somewhere yes that ship might have sailed but it will come home to port eventually so that thing that you did that you think you got away with and no one else knows about and you're continuing on and prospering and you're still making money and paying bills and enjoying life that ship that you sent out 12 months ago 7 years ago 20 years ago that ship's going to come home to port eventually and it's going to dock right in your backyard the Bible says be not deceived God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows that shall he also reap listen folks you never reap when you sow you always reap later than you sow isn't that right? farmers Yalaburra. Isn't that right? You, you sow and then you have to wait a while. You wait long enough, the fruit of what you did is going to spring up. Just because you don't see anything springing up for a week or two or a month or two doesn't mean that that fruit is not coming up. It will. Moses said it like this, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure. might take a little time. You never reap when you sow. You always reap after you sow. Listen, you always reap more than you sow. That's the rules of sowing and reaping. You put a kernel in the ground, a whole mealy comes up. You reap more than you sow. Just give it enough time. Just because you got away with it for now does not mean that the sentence, that punishment is not going to find its way into your backyard. All right, now take your Bible back to Daniel 4. <clears throat> And verse number 31. Oh, uh, forgive me, verse... Where are we at? Yeah, 31. He says here, while the word was in the king's mouth. <laughs> man, wouldn't that be something? The, the irony of it. He steps out. Look at this great man. I am an impressive guy. And mid-sentence, the angel says, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> <laughs> yeah? <laughs> While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Hey, you're just bragging about everything you got? You just lost it all. It's gone. (laughs) Verse 32, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. It says, King, we tried to tell you. We gave you a full year to marinate in the Word of God. You knew that Daniel was filled with the right spirit. You didn't listen. Okay, we tried. We gave you space to repent, but you didn't. Okay. Verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled. Listen, folks, God will give you a second chance. And a third and a fourth, fifth. God's very merciful. God is very long-suffering. But God will also put His foot down eventually and say, enough's enough. I have given you plenty of chances. Enough's enough. And now you're going to learn the lesson the hard way. Everything we said was going to happen is going to happen. It took Nebuchadnezzar 12 months of marinating, seven years of punishment, then he got it. He's going to get it. How long is it going to take you? What will God have to do to get your attention? He says here in verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and did eat grass, as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. That's because he slept outside. Till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers. So his hair grew out so much a- and it was matted together so that it, it, you couldn't see. Like our hair, if it's washed, you can see that we have fine hair. His hair had matted together so much it looked like a feather. Grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. For seven years, he's living outdoors like an animal. This is, there's a word for this. I'm not, this is not me just making this up. It's de-evolution. This is de-evolution. This is when, you know, we all understand what evolution is. Things change, but usually evolution, the way it's used is things are getting better. That's usually what people mean. De-evolution is you're going backwards. So you had made some changes in this direction. Now you're going backwards. This is, according to the world, de-evolution. Right? I don't think any of us started off as animals and now we're humans. You get that right. But according to the world, this would be de-evolution. So the Bible doesn't teach evolution. It teaches de-evolution. <laughs> There's more to this than you might think. What did Jesus say about hellfire? Where the worm dieth not. The fire is not quenched. We, we go back. We don't go forward. We go back. I don't want to get into that today, but hold your place here. Get Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Let's look at this quickly. Psalm 49. I want to show you several verses here. Verse 10. So you can say de-evolution. You can say it like that. I think the proper pronunciation for that word is devolution. Devolution, just the way it's spelled. Right? So I, I'm saying de-evolution so that you understand we're going backwards. But the proper way to pronounce it is devolution. Can, can, can you hear it in the word? De- devolution. De- devil. You're, you're going the wrong way, man. Jesus said, the lust of your father ye will do. Right? You're you're becoming like Him instead of like God. You're going the wrong direction. Devolution. So here's what happens. My my pastor used to say this all the time. You either go back to the Bible or back to the jungle. He's absolutely right. Because as soon as you throw the Bible out, you now have no structure for your thinking. You have no source of wisdom. It's gone. You know what you're going to do? Whatever you feel like doing. Jungle rules. Welcome to the jungle. Now you can create your own pronoun. I am whatever I think I am. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Th- th- there are certain things, right, that are set. And you can't just make it up. You, you say, oh, I'll just, I'm just going to scratch every itch and fulfill every lust. Okay. Well, then that's exactly what the animals do. You know how many people, it's scary when you think about it. Their life is no better than that of an animal. As long as they have food, water, and shelter, and they can play when they want to play, and reproduce when they want to reproduce, they're happy. I'm being delicate, you understand. That's all they want out of life somebody to pat me on the head whenever I need to pick me up. That's all they want. Their life is no different than that of an animal which is scary. Psalm 49, verse 10. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish. A brutish person is somebody who acts like an animal. He's a brute beast. Maybe you've heard the term. A brute beast. And the brutish person, person perish and leave their wealth to others. Verse 11. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, Nebuchadnezzar and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nebuchadnezzar, every brick, 15 million bricks. Verse 12, nevertheless, man being in honor, Nebuchadnezzar, abideth not. He's not going to last forever. He is like the what? Beasts that perish. You're going to die just like a dog. You're going to be as dead as that cow that you're going to bribe for for the bride this afternoon. <laughs> and your life will mean just as much. Verse 13, This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. He says, Here this guy is, has everything he wants, dies rich, and the world applauds and says, so, Oh, good job. Well done you. you. You died rich. He left it all behind. He took nothing with him. You know what God says about that man? Thou fool. Don't you know this night thy soul shall be required of thee? Then who shall those things be that you've laid up? God called him a fool. The world says, well done, good job, well done on your life. (laughs) He did nothing. Verse 14, like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. The morning is a, a, a word used to refer to the kingdom because... The kingdom age starts when the resurrection happens. A resurrection, so that's what you do in the morning. So that's, that's the right term. So the upright shall have dominion over them, over the brutes in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. We spend hours and days and months and weeks and years perfecting our looks so that you can be beautiful worm food. <laughs> When you die, the worms go, hmm, a pretty one. (laughs) That's how it ends up. Verse 15: But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. See, the writer, David knows, I'm looking forward to the resurrection. Not that guy living like an animal, just fulfilling every lust, scratching every itch. All he cares about is comfort. That's an animal. Verse 16, be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. It's not going down with him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. All right, listen, listen closely. I know where I'm at and I know why I'm saying this. There's your verse on your ancestors. Amen. There it is. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. You you know where those ancestors are at? Dead and not seeing light. You're going straight for them. Verse 20, man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. So here the man has a great reputation as far as the world and God says you're no different than an animal. What a commentary on the, on the world. What a thought. Come to Daniel 4. I, that's, that's what God is trying to get across to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you want to live like an animal? And then I'll treat you like one. Take seven years in the funny farm. Like funny farm. Plus, you know, optiplos. Take seven years on the farm. Then you'll get it, verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. There you go, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that sounds more like it. That's a, rather than stepping out going, look at Babylon that I have built, he says, you know what, rather, let's talk about how great God is. Now, even in this, Nebuchadnezzar did not full-on convert to proper Judaism. He didn't get saved, as we would say it. But he does recognize the point. I'm not in complete control. I can't do whatever I want to do and get away with it. There is someone higher than I. Verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as what? Nothing. Nothing. Do you see that? Yes. Nothing. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, it says, The inhabitants, the inhabitants of the earth... Are less than nothing. Say, so what's less than nothing? Draw a zero and then erase it. <laughs> That's the only... I, one preacher said it's a zero with the ring knocked off. Here. <laughs> knock, knock the ring out. Less than nothing. They are reputed as nothing. Take all the reputations in the world and how great we think Certain human beings are, and God says, I am no respecter of persons. You might think they're great, but that doesn't make them great. Their reputation is nothing. God does not take that into account. That's not what's important to God. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? That is to say, when God says, this is what I'm going to do, nobody can stop him. God doesn't have to consult with somebody else and go, what do you think I should do here? No one can, now, people do say the words, God, what are you doing? But, but see, if you say that to me, if I'm doing something on your property and you go, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to stop. And you're going to tell me I can't do that. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is getting at. No one can say to God, God, what are you doing? He's not on your property. He's doing this on his, in his property. Heaven and earth. So when he makes a decision, he can move forward with it. Now, this, doesn't, this does not take away our decisions. We still have choices to make, right? God has granted us the ability to choose things. But when God puts his foot down, no one's going to stop it. Verse 36: At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Why? Because he actually made it back from the funny farm. So now his counselors and lords come to him and say, Nebuchadnezzar, we thought you were gone. That you have to be a man of incredible strength to go through that and still make it back to the throne. So they, they actually respected him more for having bounced back. Isn't this true with all of us? When we see somebody go through a tough time, fall on hard times, and yet they get back on their feet, we think, man, okay, this person really pulled it together. They could have quit, but they didn't. And they figured Nebuchadnezzar must have something to say. He can teach us something because he went through a rough patch and made it back. Now, just so you know, historically, there is no record in the, like, archives of Babylon that says this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but there is room in the record. There are some archaeological, like, tablets that they found that kind of looks like this was uh, uh, alluded to, but nothing right out says he was sick for seven years, but it certainly there's time in the, in the record for it. Now, verse 37, to finish the passage, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All whose works are truth. What does he mean there? If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. That's the truth. And then he says, and his ways judgment. That is, if God says he's going to punish you, God is not doing this simply because he's angry and he doesn't like you. God has weighed out your actions and said you actually deserve this. So his ways are judgment. And those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So those that lift themselves up, God is able to abase them, to bring them down to the basement. Right? So the Bible says, if you exalt your, yourself, you'll be abased. Pride goeth before destruction. Nebuchadnezzar is great proof of that. If there's one lesson you want to take away from this, making good decisions, right? Making good decisions. How, how do I... How do I decide what is truth? How do I have good judgment? To say this is good, this is bad. This is the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do. Make sure you're lining up with the King of Heaven. So a verse you all know. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Nebuchadnezzar did not acknowledge God. He looked right past him and said, look what I've done for myself. Be careful, folks. Let's be careful to acknowledge God in all of our ways because that's truth and judgment. We're going to end up making the right decision when we line up with Him. All right, let's all stand, if you would. And bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll let you guys enjoy some of this beautiful sunshine, have some fellowship. Father, we thank you this morning for this, uh, for the lessons that we're able to learn and pull from this story. Father, we want to acknowledge that your ways are truth and judgment. We know that, Lord, many times we don't get the message right away. Thank you for being merciful and long-suffering, for giving us multiple chances. Oh, multiple chances. But, Lord, we don't want to abuse your kindness. We want to be careful and soft-hearted when we come to you. Lord, we thank you for what you've allowed us to accomplish in life, but our life is not about the accomplishments. It's about you putting a smile on your face. Help us, Lord, with our service to come to do that. Bless our fellowship now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys enjoy some time together.